0: I've just come back from dbt-coalesce, which is the first in-person dbt conference. dbt has just announced 50,000 uh, people in its, uh, in its um, community and also I think something like 13,000 uh, active deployments. So still kind of an early stage, but it is definitely the fastest-growing uh, large project in the data ecosystem. And one of the interesting things that uh, today's podcast uh, is... Uh, notable for is this is co-founders of essentially the two most successful open source data engineering projects uh, is Maxime Beauchemin who created Apache Airflow and Drew Bannon of dbt And so it's interesting to have them compare notes about origin stories and community building and open sourcing
1: So yeah, we started the company about almost six years exactly at this point uh, six years ago We were originally called Fishtown Analytics uh, we started the company in a neighborhood uh, next to the neighborhood called Fishtown. It's like where the neighbor the name comes from. Um, the, the actual origin story of DBT comes from the previous company that we all worked at. It was called RJ Metrics. And RJ Metrics was this all-in-one BI tool. It would do like data loading, transformation. You could define metrics It did reporting. And what sort of happened was around like 2015, 2016, we kind of saw the rise of the data warehouse and so like redshift came to market people started using it um all of a sudden RJ Metrics, kind of the all-in-one bi tool was no longer best in class at you know moving data around or transforming data or reporting on data um and so you know to the the company's credit they started building i think it was originally called the the bare bones data pipeline and it was basically the precursor to stitch uh like the you know Data, data movement company uh, that got acquired by talent and uh, later private equity. So we got the front row seats to kind of the unbundling, if you will, of, of BI tools, uh, the all-in-one BI tool. And we also saw that, you know, if you pipe data into a data warehouse like Redshift, there's actually a lot of work to do to get that data ready for analysis. So I, th- I think it was Tristan that wanted to analyze some like Mailchimp data or something like that, and he thought, if only there was some way to create views on top of views that would transform the source data, make make his uh, his BI queries like a lot simpler to write. So he started building DBT. It was originally only on Redshift, and all it could do was create like chains of views based on this like dependency of you know one view selecting off another view.
2: Did you have um, the ref idea in there, like the, the ref um, kind of macro back then, or was that better? So ref ref came later. I think originally we could go back in the git
1: commit history, but I think originally there was like an at symbol and you would do at, you know, Mailchimp campaigns. And then that's how we would identify edges in the DAG between different you know, views that should select from each other. Um, I really like the at because originally the dbt repo was housed in this GitHub organization called Analyst Collective. That was like the original name for like dbt, the modeling tool, plus a lot of like pre-built packages that do analytics for these common data sets. And so to me, the at symbol kind of looked like an A and the C like Analyst Collective. I thought that was clever. Um, but at some point we, we dropped Jinja in, we thought templating could be, could be interesting. Um, and that, that was, I think that first summer that dbt existed
2: um ginger was in there um that's very cool i so, feel like uh, like through my experience of like visiting a bunch of companies in the context of like airflow data engineering you know in the valley i got to talk to a bunch of teams and then join different teams and like this idea of having just kind of lightly templated sequel and like the kind of cli runner um it's definitely like a, a convergence of ideas where it got invented you know uh, multiple times, and Airflow like does a lot of that as a ninja built in too. So like that was kind of a subset like use case for for Airflow. But I think like TVT did it like super ele- like the elegance of like the CLI and like the commands and just kind of easy to onboard the ref the ref thing is is kind of a um, you know a clever kind of spin on how to weave your DAG right. And it's been it's been kind of interesting. I remember. um when we made some decisions here about like how we're going to run some sql at preset for our own data team i was like oh let me try this thing like you know see what the hype is all about and then came to like be like oh yeah that's cool i don't need to install airflow for another like yeah, three to six months maybe a year if i push it you know and uh can just like run dbt run every day i don't even need like a cron or a jenkins script on the meantime so very easy to adopt kind of easy to learn uh, good documentation it was super great Yeah, that's awesome i'm glad glad it's working for you and truly we uh
1: people sometimes ask if dbt and airflow are competitive and like to us they truly are not uh maybe we'll talk about this more a little bit later but i am supportive of dbt delaying the need for airflow i think that if you're just trying to create views and tables like that's actually a good
2: a good place for it to occupy. Me too. And that's kind of the path that we follow. I think we're at the point, we could get into that too in this talk on a following one too, of like when things start to break down. And for us, it's more like, it's been really easy to adopt things like dbt, but also like high touch and, uh, you know, fivetran and a bunch of other things, you know, the little solutions that run on their own schedule. At some point, you're like, oh my God, I need some some place. If I'm if I'm going to stay sane or, you know, with all these systems, I need an orchestrator. But that delays that need by, Quite a bit, you know, uh, and I think like there's some really interesting um, integrations there where people have built they can understand the DBT DAG and kind of make an Airflow DAG out of it, and then do things like logging on top, so you know, like what ran when, you know, uh, keep more history because like the beauty of DBT is it stays la- it's less, it's stateless, it's really easy to get going because it's stateless, but that's also a little bit of a problem when you get into more complex right. flows, you know? Yeah, yeah, you need to orchestrate it at some point
1: um you mentioned how like kind of quick and easy it is to get started with dbt and i just wanted to come back to the original question about like our origins as a consultancy and so i think it's really cool like a lot of the design decisions in dbt were based around our need to make the consulting work that we did like really easy and efficient and quick and so the cool thing is like we solved all these analytics problems like over and over and over again with different consulting clients and we tried to bake into the dbt kind of like aesthetic and workflow, like that those easy things should be really easy. And then when we do get, um, you know, harder, more bespoke requests, like we would always try to build in these escape hatches to make like the the hard things possible, I guess is how we say it.
2: Um, I think yeah, consultants that sit at a really interesting place in a lot of cases where they go and rinse and repeat, they see a lot of organizations, they rinse and repeat, they see what's what's int- intriguingly similar and intriguingly different from like a company to the next. And then that informs very well, like, what is the toolkit that's going to work in most places, all places where you can kind of ramp it up quickly. So I think it's cool. I think there's been other instances of that, the data mesh folks, like, you know, you know, believe what you believe, or you know, in terms of like joining the cult or not, uh, I think they're sitting in an interesting place they did a good job at summarizing a lot of the pain points for, you know, organization because they're consultants, they work with so many people. I agree. It's I I got a computer science degree, if you can believe
1: it. And the one thing I remember from my software engineering class is, um, is a statement like encapsulate what varies. And so you really get to see the variance across different organizations. And then also like the stuff that just is identical and the more that you can make that identical, identical stuff, like not something that you need to think about, then you're just focusing on
2: the things that are unique to your business. But one thing too, when you boil it to its essence, then of like, what is dbt or and maybe what is the essence of like what the toolkit you need from go to place to place. It's surprising that it's, it ends up being effectively like SQL, like templated SQL, <laughs> you know, you would wish it would be like these parametric pipeline that do really complex computation. It would just kind of, you know, uh, may, maybe you can do some of that as, you know, dbt projects or, you know, reusable airflow DAGs. The reality is like, it's really hard in data to have anything that's kind of cookie cutter that you can reuse from a place to the next. Yeah. And, and that's the big insight with dbt. It's just
1: make the work accessible to people that have the domain context of, like about the non cookie cutter parts of the logic. And so the fact that dbt SQL plus Jinja means that like people without computer science degrees, but that know a lot about marketing or product analytics or sales operations, like they can do the work and, um, the, the technology is a little bit less cool than the like hardcore parameterized like, you, you know, it's like DBT is yeah. gonna run your SQL queries in the right order. There's some cool stuff that happens in there, but it really is about like who does the work and the workflow for collaborating with with their peers.
2: Yeah, I mean, one thing there is like, since we know that it's really hard to share constructs. So let's say if I build a pipeline to compute like A-B testing an A-B testing framework, or if I build like a really complex framework for computing growth and engagement metrics or SaaS metrics. Since we know it's like really hard to build something that's gonna work for two, five, ten, hundred companies, then I think we should share reference implementation more. Right? Like it's like, okay, you can't use it as is. It's probably not gonna work for you. Use a different SQL dialect, but I'm gonna put my code out there. It's open source. You don't use you, you know, you fork it, you use it, you inspire yourself, uh you reuse what you need. So we don't do that enough in data. I don't know if you see that within the dbt community now, a lot of like, hey, here's how I do it, you know, use it if you will. Yeah, so
1: one cool thing is that I think the GitLab team has open sourced their entire dbt project. Um, it serves as a, a very cool reference because they're yeah. a big company with, you know, uh, open open source roots. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it feels very similar to what you see in like machine learning with Google. like. The algorithms are public, who cares? It's the data that's that's the competitive advantage.
3: Completely. Yeah, one question I have actually is, uh, you know, I think it's interesting now looking back on dbt, there's some early decisions that were made that maybe seem obvious in retrospect, like open sourcing it, which again, like, it seems obvious now, but at that time, like not, not everything was necessarily being open sourced. And then the decision to build this kind of growing community around it. So I'm just curious, like, you know, you guys could have just kept it as a great tool as your own IP, done it as a consulting firm thing. So I'm curious, even like, what was the vision around? Like, let's, let's open source. Let's build a community. Let's kind of, um, get it out there.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I don't think that when we made the repo and picked an Apache two license, we thought super hard about, uh, what the future would have in store. I think the fundamental belief is that this business logic is too important to be locked up in a proprietary tool. And so that, you know, when we thought about what people are going to do with this, we thought like, you don't want the vendor to own that logic, like you want to own it and it should be portable. Right. Um, so that motivated open sourcing it. But, you know, I, I, it really didn't feel like step one, go build a community. Like we put up a public Slack uh, group and, and linked to it on the homepage and people just showed up. And then from there, it was a lot of word of mouth, like in the New York data scene and then later the San Francisco data scene. And. Ever in between and beyond that since then, um, but really, like our you know our goal was just like be present, answer questions that people had, like write about the work that we were doing and consulting, the things we were learning, and a lot of our early growth came from just like talking about this this burgeoning space where okay nowadays everyone knows like all the all the BI tools, all the data loaders, all the data warehouses, everything between like in 2016 it was not super clear. Uh, how you should be connecting these tools or what goes where, or
2: how you should think about it. We just like wrote about the work we were doing. I think it's addictive too. Like when you start like interacting with a community and people show up and pay attention to your work and have questions and then they want to contribute, you're like, Oh man, that's, that's cool. Like it, it seems like so worthwhile of your time. So I've, I've had like a similar, similar experience for me. You know, when, when I open source airflow, the idea was very much like, Hey, I want for instead of like the stage for the importance of this or my my um, limit to impact instead of being limited to Airbnb, you know, as a theater for its impact, I want the world to be, you know, the place in which this uh, can have impact. So that was the motivation, but then it is really addictive people show up and you care and it's your craft, you know. So
1: Max, this is a question I've always had for you, but I don't think I've ever asked. Um, it was pretty obvious why, I should spend like long nights and weekends working on DBT in the early days. Uh it's like our our company's existence was predicated on DBT being at least a little bit successful. Um what was that like inside of Airbnb? Like was it a labor of love? Was it your full
2: time oh, job? Yeah. Very much so. Like that was all me like no one was like, Hey, why don't you go open source this thing and like do a better job with the community? It was more like trying to build something relevant, you know, and uh and and then like, you know i'm sure i'm trying to draw like parallels with maybe like scientists they want to be published right and they want people to be quoted and they want to someone is like hey i'm writing a paper on your paper do you want to talk like yeah this is what i do this is my craft this is what i'm building um so it was very much like i was driving relevance i mean you want to have impact in your career right so i was driving relevance inside of Airbnb first and then at the same time i'm like hey i'm going to put it in the open and see what happens and i never thought it was going to become like this Gigantic thing. I heard like there's like more, potentially like more than estimated, like a hundred thousand companies using Airflow now. I'm like, what? Like Probably how that, is that yeah. even possible? You know? It's just crazy. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff.
3: Nice. Awesome. Um, well, I know that DBT, you know, obviously a lot of the initial design was very much around like ease of adoptability and especially for small teams that want to move quickly. So I think a natural segue is then to talking about how we use it at Preset, uh, Max. specifically. I'm curious, uh, like early on, mm-hmm. like the kind of the early data stack, how it's evolved at Preset, where dbt fits in, and then also some spicy stuff on functional data engineering in, uh, in dbt as well. D- yeah,
2: it. or it's like the, the things like, you know, it's like maybe coming with the Airflow mindset, like, you know, what is empowering, but was limiting yeah. too. So there's been like and we can drill into like some of the trade-offs there too but for for us like how we picked it it's just like oh we need to run so first we set up FiveTran to like bring a bunch of sas data and then we set up just like our ingestion pipelines for our product analytics and then you just have a bunch of raw data and big query in our case and like okay now we need to like you know create data sets that we can use for visualization or make sense of that and I was like oh you know what's the the hype all about and then you know I, I need to just run a few sql scripts with templates and um and i just ended up like sticking and working pretty well and you now the things that it, that were uh like cool coming in is like the looking at the ref implementation as a way to weave your dag was kind of interesting i was like oh this is clever i wish i thought of that you know <laughs> uh, and then uh, another um thing or two um what else where where the, the cli just like works very well i think there's cool like Syntactic sugar and it works well. Um, and uh, what else did I find on the oh, like the documentation? The auto-generated documentation kind of gives you, you're like, oh, I, I feel like I want to go and put my tags in, and I want to go and kind of curate this stuff, and it, it all works like well, um, especially at small scale. I like that you could just go and assume that you're going to fully rebuild everything all the time. It's like materialization can be an afterthought. Uh, and then you're like, yeah. oh, later on, like when we get to bigger data, I'll be able to change my, like to my, the bigger tables to incremental. So that was all like, you know, easy to adopt. And then where we started fighting like more recently is, is more like the stuff where you're like, okay, what did the data look like when it ran, you know? And uh, what, um, we have issues with like early arriving facts. So maybe like in our source systems, we dump the, the analytics events in before we scrape the databases. And depending on when it runs, you know, you have to start thinking about like, oh, do you have sensors like an airflow? We can say, wait until the scrapes are over and when the scrapes are over, start running the thing. So it's kind of lack of orchestration. Yeah. And then starting to things
1: up a little
2: bit and stuff, stuff like that. Okay. At a high level, if you want to jump like into that too, like I like snapshotting. You can talk today. about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah it would, like uh, one thing, to get into, I mean, it it, it will get technical and it's like difficult to, without the diagrams to talk about some of these things. But, um, one thing that I like to do that's around like functional data engineering, which is the idea of like just adding like idempotent, uh, deterministic tasks, like pure tasks that if you run a task, then it's usually time bound, like this task will always is guaranteed with the same source to give the same results Then the dbt approach is a little bit more like um catch up or full process right like you you know you write code that can be incremental that will say okay the last date that you have is three days ago the last date of of source data you have is two days ago therefore I will you know catch you up and compile your data right it's a build tool so that works well but it it gets a little bit tricky sometimes to be like okay what ran what did the data look like when it ran Um, if I rerun my process twice in a row it's not going to do the same thing it will do something new so I actually, I kind of hear where you're coming from, but I, I don't think I
1: agree with that characterization. Like, independence is, is one of the kind of core tenets of how dbt does its thing. And mm-hmm. I think the difference between the the dbt experience and the Airflow experience is that in dbt, the data loading is managed by some other tool. So you mentioned you use Fivetran, like, yeah. sure, if Fivetran loads data between when you last ran dbt and when you run it now, like you'll get different outputs. but in the general case, if you're using you know DBT view table incremental materializations, like if your source data hasn't changed, you can run DBT a thousand times and you'll get identical outputs. And and specifically, you mentioned this earlier, like you can you can drop your uh, analytics schema and rebuild everything from scratch. Like it is super intended to be uh, Id- uh for kind of the reasons you're describing. It, I
0: think. So you can see a little bit of cognitive dissonance there between. Uh, Airflow and DBT and how they respectively see the world. Uh, What's interesting is, I think this is one of those examples where Airflow was the predominant paradigm for the past five years, and then DBT sort of came from below. And as you heard Max agree, um, put off the adoption of Airflow. Um, And uh, I think it's a really interesting way for any open source tool to come in from under. Uh, You can see Turbopack and Turbo Repo Come in from below <laughs> in, uh, under uh, um, NX Dev and Webpack in the JavaScript world. One more thing before you go DBT has been working on a quote unquote semantic layer for a long time. They were announcing it at DBT Coalesce. You can see the announcement in the show notes. Um, the general consensus from people I've been talking to is that they were a little underwhelmed, or maybe it's a little anticlimactic because it was extremely well telegraphed. And this is a white whale for a lot of companies, uh, notably Transform, and I think Super Conductive or Super Grain um, pivoted away when they announced when they heard that DBT was entering the space. Um, and I don't super know the ins and outs of the politics behind all the teams. Here, but I think it's definitely one of the more notable moves. It kind of makes sense from a business angle. Uh, people are definitely moving towards the separation of the semantic layer versus uh, the BI layer or, um, the, you know, their sort of dbt templates. And um, I think they want some single place to manage it. Another tool that I think is getting a little bit of notice is cube.dev. Um, so all these tools are worth checking out. I'm also going to attach the GitLab implementation and guidebook Uh, GitLab being famously extremely open. So I just love uh, pouring through, you know, their internal notes because they publish it.
3: You know, I'd love to switch gears just a little bit and talk about uh, the metrics layer. So I've heard through the grapevine, uh, I'm kidding, you guys have been pretty public about it, that dbt has been building kind of a metrics layer. Uh, So I'm curious, you know, what uh, maybe first I'd love to hear your own definition of like semantic layer versus metrics layer. I think it's always interesting to hear and then, and then kind of transition to like, um, you know, what, what's kind of the goal of, of the metrics layer that you guys, um, like what are the kind of design constraints you guys are optimizing for basically and, and what's the vision for, for dbt's uh, metrics layer? Yeah, right so like you can yeah. talk about like metrics layer in from an abstract perspective first like what is a
2: metrics layer and why would someone have one and then what is you know dbt's metric layer but
3: yeah
0: absolutely
2: I, mean, I can do like summarize like what is a metrics layer why do we need one
1: yeah um
2: business metrics have existed for as long as
1: businesses and number systems have existed um the idea of you know defining metrics is not new um i think when people talk about metrics layers or semantic layers. The idea is defining these metrics in one place and making them accessible to lots and lots of different tools, um, potentially like used by different teams for different purposes. Um, So that's very much what we're targeting in the thing that we're we're currently calling the DBT semantic layer, we can get into that too. Um, But the big idea is you've got these very important business metrics like your OKRs or revenue or churn rate or whatever it is, and you wanna track these things. And when you report on them, you want to do so extremely precisely and extremely accurately. Like you don't want to have a chart that says revenue that's a different number than another chart that says revenue. Like you want that to be the exact same definition. Um, So, you know, we kind of saw how we could achieve something similar to that with dbt as a, you know, batch-based transformation tool. It's like you put the stuff in version control, uh, you you sort of manage like who can merge uh, to to main and you get code reviews and you test it yeah exactly um, so so the big idea is you can define your metrics in your DBT project um, these metrics are defined in terms of your models and so the, the kind of cool insight here is when you think about a metric like revenue it's not just the actual expression of you know sum of order total minus tax paid or, or whatever it's actually all the transformation logic that happened up to that point that defines like the entirety of these metrics so it's a pretty natural home for the metrics um, Dbt's like open source um, origins sort of play a big role here too. Like there are lots of different tools that like could have a stake for being the one stop shop in which all of your metrics are defined. But we think it's important that like fundamentally they are sort of built in an open source ecosystem and you can take them with you and use it yourself
2: in source um, control yeah they need to be in source control and code reviewer if you desire so and they need to be in something open source and universal that multiple tools can use right because if you put it in lookers look ml uh, or right. like some proprietary tool out there you're like okay how is everyone going to integrate and really serve from that awesome catalog you know that should be centralized and usable by everyone so dbt yeah. is, a, is a is a decent like, good place to to do that it's just something like DVD is so like model centric when you think about it like it's it's information architecture everything's around models and then metric kind of comes over as a new cross model really important you know entity in your in your information architecture yeah exactly so
1: um the the goal here with what we're building is to create a sort of sql like interface into querying those metrics and so you can sort of issue a query i won't describe the jinja out loud but you can more or less select star from, you know, metric revenue and say, I want to look at it, you know, weekly or quarterly. I want to look at it by country or tier. And then dbt can compile the the sort of version control code um, to, to calculate that metric for you. And the great thing is if you ever release new product and now you're changing the definition of revenue, it's actually whatever, say it's services plus product revenue. You can change that definition in dbt and not need to update any chart or query that references the metric that'll kind of happen within dbt's semantic
2: layer. It, the thing with metric is like they can't really be decoupled from their dimension right but before, you know now we have like uh call it like metric centric data modeling right like where like metric becomes a really important thing that you think about when you do your data models um but then you have to think about like what is the dimensionality of these metrics and then what is the physical representation of these metrics which i think like you guys like you know that's probably your primary Concern to be like okay, how does the metric live across multiple models? Um, but were you suggesting what you can say select star from, um, you know, a metric or, or an, a metric abstraction, and it would figure out which models to hit? Is this general idea? Yeah, exactly. So the sort of prior art here looks more like
1: OLAP cubes, where the idea is you calculate the metric across every specified dimension, store that at a table. And then, when you want to know the metric value, you select star from that table with whatever filters you want to apply. Um, OLAP cubes don't really make a lot of sense in the data warehousing world. I think they're more a function of like the previous era of technology. And so, what we kind of do with the semantic layer is is virtualize. This is like a um, it's a it's a ginger macro. Like <laughs> it's a, it's a ginger yeah. macro, <laughs> it's but a it's genre. really cool ginger macro. So you select star from this macro, and it'll expand to a much bigger query that actually calculates the the metric precisely from all your source tables.
2: But the from clause like points to a dataset, not a metric. Right? You you would think like select metric from you know um, you know any dataset that has it or something like that. But like the from so like it's so then the when you say a metric uh, baked into it is. is, is a right? Like the metric cannot really be decoupled from the columns that can or cannot live with it, with it.
1: Mm. So
2: you can think of it like a, like a
1: table function almost, if you're familiar. So it's, there's no actual backing table, but you can select from it as though it was a table. And so what you can do is select from the revenue metric, select from the, um, you know, like customers metric, ARPC revenue per customer, like it'll do a ratio. Um, that's sort of the, uh, for lack of a better term, the, the vibe, the aesthetic we're going for. We want it to feel like you're selecting from a concrete data set, but really it's virtualized and only exists kind of at query time based on the dimensions that you're asking for.
2: So, so the from cluster kind of imply more a cube than a metric, right? It's something like that to to, to, me, to me, because like from means you're querying from a collection of fields that include metrics. So revenue, but there's also like country and, you know, demographics and things like that that, that comes. so the the problem is dimensionality like that that's what it would feel like in the cube world, but
1: say that you have a um customer's table and there's ten dimensions that you could conceivably group this customer account by, and each of mm-hmm. those ten dimensions has between ten and a hundred different possibilities like all of a sudden this table if you were to materialize it is billions of rows because it's every permutation of every dimension right yeah so. When, when we think about it as like sort of a table function, like select star from the, the revenue metric, the columns inside of that data set are the the timestamp that you specified. So like quarterly or week over week, whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. it's all the dimensions that you've specified. So by country and tier. And then the last column is like the metric value. So the revenue for all those dimensions in that time range.
2: Got it. And behind the scene, you know, it's a little bit like there's this notion that's also an, an old term uh, but we're talking about OLAP, so it's okay to bring the old terms. But uh, <laughs> one is like called aggregate awareness. It's a feature of semantic layers where you know it will know which underlying representation is most efficient to query to fi- to answer your question. So if you say like select country and customer count, it's like oh, I have a table that's like really small, really effective to uh, to answer.
0: Okay, I had to stop there because we're already at half an hour Um, and I know the audio isn't that good. It's been kind of a struggle making this episode, uh, to be honest, but it's just hard to get these two founders in a room together. So whenever you want to have them talk to each other, I think it's one of the best original sources you can see to see how the prime movers in this industry are thinking about things. So um, more to come.